Thank you, David, so much for leading us in that time of singing and praise. And now, dear brothers and sisters, it's time for us to conclude our study of John's Gospel, the resurrection accounts of John's Gospel. If you've been joining with us in previous weeks, you'll know that beginning on Easter Sunday, we began looking at the resurrection accounts in the Gospel of John. And we've been following that narrative to the very end. And today we do conclude with the final two verses of John's Gospel. And I want to share those with you this morning in a message I'm calling Certainty in Uncertain Times. Certainty in Uncertain Times. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. And we're going to look at verses 24 to 25. Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 24 through 25. I'll read both verses together, and then we'll pray, ask for God's blessing over today's message, and then we'll get into our study. So John 21, 24 through 25. This is the word of the Lord. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things and we know that his testimony is true and there are also many other things that Jesus did which if they were written one by one I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We just ask for the blessing, the anointing, the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit to operate among us this morning. Lord, wherever we might be, geographically. Lord, wherever we might be in our thoughts, in our feelings, Lord, we pray that you would have preeminence among us this morning. We pray that we would humble ourselves before your throne of grace, knowing that you are a God of mercy, that you are full of compassion, that your steadfast love fails not. Lord, we thank you that with you there is forgiveness of sins. With you there is hope beyond the grave. And this morning as we reflect upon these words that you have spoken through your chosen and holy apostle, we pray that you would speak certainty into the hearts of your people as we seek to be faithful in uncertain times. Lord, we ask for this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, I know it's probably cliche to say we are living in unprecedented times. As a matter of fact, think for a moment how many times in the last year you've heard that word unprecedented? And again, 
I think it is not without reason that we have not only used that word, but we've used it repeatedly throughout this last year. It truly has been a year of firsts for many of us, not just as individuals, but corporately as people and especially Americans. And so this morning, I think what the word that God wants to speak is a word of assurance. It's a word about the certainty of God and his word in uncertain times. Now, we do certainly live within these unprecedented times. We've got many challenges facing us at the moment. Many more are on the way, certainly, friends. But one of the things I think we need to be mindful of in this moment is that the Word of God, the Bible you have in front of you, can be trusted with your life. And so for me as a pastor, while I know many people are preoccupied with political events, political happenings, social occurrences, and believe me, I care about all of those things too. But as a pastor, let me be frank with you. I am more concerned with the attacks on God's word and the integrity of God's word and the trustworthiness that the Bible ought to have in the light of the believer because there are many, many challenges to God's word. Again, some of these challenges are coming from outside the camp of faith. Many challenges are coming from those who are Admittedly, non-believers, they are not Christians, they do not believe in the Lord Jesus, and so they outrightly reject him. They may not even believe in a God of any kind. Now, for some people, their objections carry some weight. But for the most part, what I think is the biggest threat is not from what's coming without the camp of faith, but even those attacks on God's word coming from within the camp of faith. And so I believe it is so important that we recognize that whatever challenges we might face in life, whatever challenges society and the political realm may raise in regard to a particular passage of scripture, Whatever challenges somebody might raise when they point out that there's some difficulties with the language or squaring this passage in light of this other passage over there. I recognize there are some real challenges. But I think it's important for us as Christians to lay the groundwork here and now. That God's word is certain, reliable, and trustworthy. And I believe that is the essential point that John is concluding his gospel with this morning. After having given his original audience, those early believers, first century believers, friends, we have spiritual family that goes back 2,000 years to the very first Christian community. And John the Apostle, who had walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, sat with Jesus, ate with Jesus, and was an eyewitness to his bodily resurrection, recorded these words. Church tradition tells us that John did this in late age. This was towards the end of his life. Ironically, though John was an eyewitness, he did not write it early on, but rather towards the end of his life. 
though inspired by the Spirit, we can also say that these words reflect a certain maturity of life and experience through which the Holy Spirit is mediating the witness to the gospel story of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he brings his gospel, the good news, about how the God of Israel is fulfilling his promises to Abraham and ultimately the world through the one God-man, Jesus Christ. And he concludes his gospel by certifying, certifying the certainty, the assurance, the guarantee, the reliability, the trustworthiness of this gospel. And so, friends, let's look at what John is telling us this morning that he wanted not only his first century audience to know, but the Spirit, the divine author speaking through John, wants us to know this morning. In verse 24, he says, This is the, the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So what we see here is that everything that is preceded in the Gospel of John proceeds from the very eyewitness of John himself, the beloved disciple. This is the disciple who testifies of these things. So in other words, the primary source for this Gospel was none other than the beloved disciple, John himself. So we have apostolic authority on which this gospel rests. And he says two things. He says, this is the disciple who testifies. Now that word testify, again, is a legal term. It is the idea of I am bearing legal witness. And it is quite likely that John, as he speaks these words, is thinking of the ancient Jewish belief rooted in the Torah, the scriptures, divinely inspired by the Spirit, but spoken through Moses. That in Deuteronomy, that any matter of law in court would be established by two or three witnesses. And so what you're going to see here in, the, in this passage is there is both an I and a we. There is an I and a we. Not only is John bearing witness, but he is noticing he is not bearing witness alone. John recognizes that he is one of a group of witnesses. He belongs to a community who uphold this witness to Jesus to his teachings, to his miracles, and to his substitutionary death. John is giving legal witness. In modern terms, he would be raising his right hand, putting his other hand on the Bible, and swearing that everything he is declaring is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so God has helped him to do. So this is the disciple who legally bears witness, testifies of these things, and wrote these things. Now, interestingly, in the Greek, we have both a present tense verb and a past tense verb. 
So the present tense is, this is the disciple who testifies. This verb is in the present. In other words, John is continuing to bear witness today. The witness to the gospel is not just a witness in the past, though we're going to see in a moment. It includes a past witness. But witnessing to Jesus is an ongoing activity. And as long as John is alive, John is going to continually bear living witness to Jesus and his gospel. And so it is with all followers of Jesus throughout history. We are to bear living witness to Jesus. But what we're going to see here is there's also a past tense witness. And unlike John, so we weren't eyewitnesses to the earthly ministry of Jesus. So there is a degree of distinction that needs to be made here. So our present living witness is rooted in this past witness of which John speaks. He says, and wrote, past tense, or Greek students, aorist tense, and wrote these things. So for John, the witness is both present because he's an apostle. He saw the Lord both in his earthly ministry and after his resurrection. But John is also the source of this written inspired account, which had been, according to this verse, completed in the past. This action has been accomplished. And so it is today that for us, our ongoing and living witness to Jesus, which is essential, and for many people today who don't know Christ but will come to know him, they will come to know him in many cases, not first through the written word, the past tense witness, but through your living witness. You've probably heard the statement that for many people, you are the only Bible they will ever read. Now, there's some truth to that statement. It's the idea of living witness, the power and the necessity of being a living witness for Jesus, that people may know Jesus is alive and that he rules and reigns as king and he's coming again. People will often come to know that through your present living witness. Now, of course, to be sure, how do we know that our living witness is valid? How do we know that we, when we bear living witness to a particular teaching about Jesus or fact about Jesus, how do we verify that living witness that disciples bear today? Well, that is where this past tense witness is so vital and irreplaceable. And it is why we need to be reassured of the certainty of the Bible, the certainty, the reliability, the genuineness, and the authority of the Word of God. We can always take our living witness, and as the Spirit is working through that living witness and testifying in the heart of a person who does not believe in, and they're drawing them to a faith in Christ, and then they say, well, how do I know? How can I know what you're saying is true? We are able to point to the written word. These things were written that others may be assured of today. And it says, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, some people debate on who this we is. Who is this we? 
some people have said, some Bible scholars have said, well, this obviously isn't John, so John's written the bulk of this, but then the early Johannine community, that means the, the early school of followers of John, they didn't know Jesus personally, they hadn't seen him, they weren't necessarily eyewitnesses of his resurrection, but they knew John. They were alive in the first century and they knew John. Perhaps they are the we that are speaking here. Some have gone a little bit further to be more specific, to say the elders at Ephesus, a church that has a long-standing connection to the apostle, the beloved disciple, John. Now, while I'm certainly open to the idea that this we includes them as well, I think we ought not to rush to that conclusion because there's reason given in this gospel early on at the very beginning where we have an inclusive first-person plural that seems to include the author of this gospel. So in other words, here when it says, and we know that his testimony is true, let me take you back and just maybe jot down the reference. You don't need to turn there. But John's prologue, chapter 1, verse 14. Listen to this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice at the very beginning of John, we have a we, a first-person plural. Now, in John 1.14, most commentators are more likely to adopt the view that that references John and the early apostles, the chosen disciples of Jesus. That's who's being spoken of in John 1.14. Well, let me suggest to you this morning that if we have at the beginning of this gospel, this first person plural, we, and the we is those who saw the, the earthly ministry of Christ, beheld with their own eyes the glory of Jesus. And here when we arrive at this very same gospel, and we see once again the we, and we know that his testimony is true, that we have reason to believe that this references the apostolic community. In other words, again, while not ruling out that this also refers to early believers in the Johannine community, perhaps elders in the church of Ephesus, but this certainly can also include the early apostolic community. And of course, that's important because that's the groundwork on which the New Testament itself rests for its degree of certainty. Now, again, whether written by an eyewitness in this instance, or perhaps the Gospel of Mark or Luke, where they were not eyewitnesses of Jesus himself, but they were disciples of the very apostles. And so they were able to take down, to record, to document, to collect, to pull together their witness. So the idea that it goes back to the early apostolic community, and therefore to Christ himself, is of the utmost importance for believers today. And so if this 
text, if this gospel rests on apostolic authority, friends, then you can know the certainty of the things you read. If some people say, well, it's just a book and people wrote it and lots of people had ideas about Jesus. Well, yes, there were many other things that were written about Jesus in the succeeding decades and centuries after the apostles. But why don't we accept those that are not in the Bible? Why don't we do that? Well, one of the main criteria is because they are not apostolic. Think about this, and this should make basic sense. The reason we accept the New Testament is because our desire, our goal, is to know Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, the real Jesus, we want to know him. And therefore, the eyewitness accounts, those that knew him, were closest to him, were a part of his circle, and were specially chosen by them, we want to know. We want to know from them. And so that is what we are being told we have here. And that is why other accounts, even church tradition, that I would even say is, is valid and helpful for insight into how the church viewed this apostolic witness. And yet we must not elevate those traditions to the level of the scriptures. Rather, we subordinate all traditions underneath the authority of the certainty of the Holy Scriptures and of God's Word. And therefore, any objections or writings that come from outside the apostolic witness, friend, even though some might be obviously hostile, some might be obviously erroneous, but even for those that aren't, even for those that seem to be helpful, we subordinate them to the Word of God. Because it is the Bible, it is the Word of God, it is the apostolic writings in the New Testament as regard the gospel of Jesus Christ that is authoritative for our faith and practice today. He says in closing in verse 25, And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Again, what John is telling us here is that Christ and his glory and his gospel, though they can be borne witness to in human words within a span of time in a certain length, and yet in terms of their quality and their profundity, inexhaustible. That's what John is getting at. They are ultimately inexhaustible. We can never fully fathom the riches of the glory of Christ. As a matter of fact, friends, that is why even in the world to come, in the resurrection, when we go to see the Lord, when we are reunited with the Lord and with the saints of old, what will we be doing throughout all eternity? Some people think, well, I'll get bored. Well, you only get bored when something gets old. But let me suggest this gospel of Jesus, it will never get old. It is inexhaustible. The eternity of eternities is not enough to reveal the fullness of the magnitude of the glory and splendor of the gospel of God through Jesus Christ. Here John is echoing his concluding words of the previous chapter 
where he reveals, even though Jesus did many other things in the profundity of which are, are inexhaustible with human words. And yet he says, but this is why I have written, look back with me at verses 30 and 31 of the preceding chapter. He said, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Friends, I believe this was John's parting gift to the Christian church. He wanted them to have the full assurance of faith regarding the things that were taught to them. The Lord Jesus is certifying his word through his apostles. He's bearing witness through the Spirit. He's carrying on this witness through the living witness of believers today, myself and you all included. But what we need to know, friends, as we face an uncertain world, as we face an uncertain economy, as we face uncertain social development, certainly political turmoil, and even, sadly, division within the Christian church. More sadly, professing believers attacking and even denigrating the authority of God's Word. Friends, I want to certify before all of you today, by the authority that God has vested in me as a pastor, I'm under the word of God, but the word of God endows me as a pastor with spiritual authority. And I want to use that spiritual authority, though limited, limited and subordinated to the Bible, to the word of God. But on that authority, I nevertheless declare unto you the certainty of your Bible, of the Holy Scriptures, to be sufficient for everything you need to know for a life of faith and godliness. And so, dear brothers and sisters today, wherever you are, whatever season you find yourself in, whether one of great joy on the one hand or one of deep pain and loss on the other, and for all in between, know the word of God may be trusted as a certain guide in an uncertain world. I pray this message will be of comfort and of joy to all the people of God this morning and to those who love the coming of the Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word, that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters and all those who may be watching, both now and at a later time, that you would grant unto them full assurance of faith regarding what you have revealed about yourself and supremely about your Son, Jesus, in and through the Holy Scriptures. Lord, we thank you that an uncertainty of this world as men and women of faith, we can live 
the rest of our lives upon the certain foundation of the Word of God. Lord, would you grant a sense, a felt sense this morning, of certainty regarding your Word. That you would grant the capacity by grace through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who is the gift and the inheritance of all who profess Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I just pray, Lord, unto them, you would grant a fuller assurance that they would lean on your word, that they would derive wisdom for life from your word, that they would face the problems and challenges both in the broader Christian church as well as the world through the lens of the word of God. We thank you for preserving the sacred scriptures. We thank you for all those who've passed on the truth of this word, including those mothers, spiritual mothers, mentors, foster mothers, adopted mothers, stepmothers. All those in our lives who have passed on to us this word, this precious word of God. Grant them special assurance this morning. We thank you for your word. We ask that we would be faithful to it in all things. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, everyone, for taking the time to join us this morning for this worship and praise and teaching and hopefully exhortation to you. Uh, before you go, we do have uh, several announcements. Uh, first of all, I just want to remind everyone, next Sunday we will be meeting in person in San Juan Capistrano. Again, it's a little bit of a different time. Just to remind everyone the reason that time is a little bit different is we're meeting outdoors and so we've been uh, just adjusting it slightly to uh, try to meet the particular weather conditions. Uh, so right now, because it's been cooler, uh, we're doing 10.30. So it'll be 10.30 a.m. in San Juan Capistrano. If you're anywhere in the area, whether you live nearby or you might be visiting, we'd love to have you join us as we gather together as the people of God. So 10.30 a.m. San Juan next Sunday and all our information about directions and what to expect is on our website and that's imagechurchoc.com. There's an events tab at the top and you can just click there and all the information regarding our Sunday services there. Uh, also for those of you that would like to continue this morning's worship through tithes and offerings, there's a couple of ways you can do that. Uh, same as the instructions before, you can go onto our website which is imagechurchoc.com and there's a giving tab at the top and you're able to click there and give electronically using one of your cards. Uh, for those who prefer to mail in a check, you can do that to our church mailing address, which is 27762 Antonio Parkway, L is in Larry, 514, and that's Ladera Ranch, California, 92694. Again, that address is on our website at the bottom of our uh, website, which is imagechurchoc.com. Again, friends, I encourage you to join us for our Wednesday night Bible study. It's a great time of, again, recentering ourselves around the Word of God. We know there's so many distractions and uh, often so much busyness uh, throughout the week. We want to encourage you to join us Wednesday. Get reoriented again around the Word of God. We also have a women's Bible study on Friday mornings. We have a men's uh, Bible study on 
Thursday nights, and then we have prayer meetings and various other things uh, going on throughout the week and at different times. And so if you'd like to get information regarding that, you can just send us an email requesting art to be included on our weekly email. So just request that at information at imagechurchoc.com. So email us at information at imagechurchoc.com. Also, for any of you, if you have any Bible questions uh, that arose as a result of today's message, we would encourage you to reach out to us. Use that same email address. And also, if you have any prayer requests as well, we would be happy to pray for you. You can send those along as well. Let me close now with this prayer of blessing. May the grace and truth of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you all again. Happy Mother's Day, and we hope to see you all again real soon.